I really just kind of wanted to get more into the CrossFit community, uh, more more interested in sort of where things are going, especially as we were moving. CrossFit as a, a, an organization is moving away from the sort of games mentality into more of a health mentality. And I remember saying a lot of times, like in Huntsville when I was training, you know, that CrossFit is wasted on the fit. Um, you know, like it really felt like, you know, if we're training for the game, you know, training for the, the open or people are training for the games and stuff like that. And there's this huge emphasis on this elite fitness that I was like, it's kind of wasted on people that already have it. You know, whereas like there's people that like me that needed it so bad, um, you know, that had to sort of, you know, we were embraced and brought into it, but not the way we would be embraced now. And you know, we had to sort of, you had to break had a in a lot more barriers to come up against. Yeah, you had to break in a little bit still. So, you know, I always like, that was always one of the things that I said, CrossFit was wasted on the fit. So I would... When, you know, I sort of saw this shift going on and heard some of the stuff that Coach Glassman was talking about, I was like, you know what, I want to get in on this. I want to check it out. You're listening to episode number 114 with Dr. Maud Dahl. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. I'm really excited to share with you that this month, in addition to $20 off your first order, ButcherBox has a very special gift that is so good, I can't even mention it on the podcast. You can learn more about it at butcherbox.com forward slash Julie, where you can find all the details. So if you know me, you know I care a lot about where my food comes from, and that's particularly true when it comes to meat. I believe that meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there's a huge difference when it comes to animals that are raised in feedlots and that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics and those that are responsibly raised, fed their natural diet and never given growth hormones or antibiotics. High quality meat like this is hard to find, but ButcherBox makes it super easy because they deliver 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage breed pork, as well as wild Alaskan sockeye salmon directly to your doorstep. All of their products are humanely raised and never, ever given antibiotics or hormones. This gives me some peace of mind knowing that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and will taste amazing. Plus, they offer free shipping anywhere in the contiguous 48 United States, which is awesome. Right now, ButcherBox has put together a very special deal for all Pursuing Health listeners. If you order your first box, you'll get a very special gift plus an additional $20 off. And as I mentioned, that special gift is so epic, I can't even talk about it here. You'll have to go to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie to check out the deal and get your $20 off your first order. Now remember, it's only available until supplies last, so go check it out right now. Once again, that's $20 off plus a special gift with your first box by going to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie. Check it out. I promise it will be worth it. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. 
Well, hello there and welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this upcoming episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Maud Dull, who's a pediatric intensivist currently practicing in the San Francisco area. Maud and I first met at a recent MDL1 seminar, one of the CrossFit Level 1 seminars that are being held exclusively for physicians as part of the CrossFit Health movement. And there she shared a bit of her story with me. I was absolutely captivated by her personal experience of reclaiming her own health after decades of struggling with her weight and working in a fast-paced, high-adrenaline career. So, Maude and I caught up recently at San Francisco CrossFit to talk about her path in medicine, her struggles with her weight despite always being very active, and how she finally changed her habits to overcome obesity, and more recently, why she's made the shift from training for the CrossFit Games Open to training for longevity, and what prompted her to join the CrossFit Health movement. There are so many great insights and pearls in this conversation, and I'm so grateful to Maude for her willingness to share her story in such a raw and unedited way. So I hope you'll learn as much from her as I did. Now, before we get started, a few quick reminders as usual. First, this episode is produced by CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, the best workout tracking in the biz and the one I've been using since 2009. You can learn more about them at beyondthewhiteboard.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. It really does make a difference in getting these episodes out to more listeners. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, we'll get started with episode number 114 of Pursuing Health featuring Dr. Maude Dahl. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm really excited to be here with Dr. Maude Dahl. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. This is kind of cool. So So we're actually here at San Francisco CrossFit, which is near where you live now. Um, And we first met at the CrossFit MD Level 1, which was back in which month? I think it was in September. September, sometime in the fall. Um, But I was really amazed by your story. And so I'm excited to kind of share that with our audience today. Well, cool. Thank you. So I thought maybe we could just start at the beginning with um, kind of what your life was like growing up, what you were interested in, and then eventually how you ended up moving towards medicine. Okay. Um, So basically, I grew up in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, My family is, you know, was sort of of the bohemian, not the the hippie set because of their age. (laughs) And so I had a pretty, what I would consider a fairly normal childhood. Mm -hmm. and went to schools here, and um, I was always an active kid. Mm-hmm. I liked to be, I wanted to be an acrobat when I was growing oh, up. Oh, very cool. Uh, I did gymnastics a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing, no talent, but just things that, you know, just keep moving and yeah, doing yeah. things. Um, and it was fairly, fairly active you know, especially the first 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I was kind of thinking about, you know, growing up in the city mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I went to a um, elementary school called Second Community, which was about a mile 
and a half away from our house. And okay. my parents were like free range parents before mm-hmm. free range was a thing. <laughs> they didn't drive you to school. Uh-huh. And I used to walk up this hill called Warren Drive okay. every day to go to school. And it was about, it's a really heavy, great, high grade yeah. San Francisco hill. So I used to walk up that. And uh, yeah, it. the hills here. <laughs> I've only been here a few times, it. but I'm always amazed by, so, by the hills. So, um, and it was must have been up uphill both ways, right? That's what our parents always used to say. It was literally you had to go over a hill, so it was uphill both <laughs> ways. Um, so I was really, you know, just by nature of getting around a mm-hmm. city um, as a as a young person, I was just an active mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. because there was no op- in other opportunities. Yeah. Um, and then when I went into medical mid- middle school, I started taking the bus to school. Okay. And that was about the age of that was. A, uh, 19, I was born in 1970, so that was in about 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the same time that puberty hit and that actually the um, recommendations for what people should be eating started oh, to shift. Very interesting. And so we went from a fairly moderate to high fat diet, mm-hmm. like a sort of normal human diet, mm-hmm. to eating less and less fat and more carbohydrates mm. as I was growing up and more refined foods and stuff interesting. like that. And so I started taking the bus, eating donuts, and hitting adolescence, mm-hmm. and it didn't have, you know, things started to get much more difficult for me mm-hmm. in that next 10 years, and I ballooned up. What was your diet like prior to that? Like, were you eating a lot of fresh foods? Did your family cook at home a lot? We cooked. We mm-hmm. lived in a, um, actually, again, the sort of semi-hippie lifestyle. Okay. Like, we had a fairly communal household. Oh, nice. So we ate dinners together mm-hmm. we had you know pretty pretty varied diet i mm-hmm. remember like going and harvesting mussels at the beach with my oh, family and stuff like that so <laughs> so we had like that kind of diet but as as we got older and you know my mom started to work as a nurse she became um, a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. eventually but she was working as, an, as a nurse she started working nights okay um, and then there were a couple of those um, adverse childhood events mm, that okay. sometimes you experience when you're growing up. Yeah. So my older brother, Byron, uh, died very suddenly oh when I was goodness. 11 of something called hantavirus syndrome. Wow. Um, which was years before it was even discovered. Um, he had been out in the four corners uh-huh. and ended up just getting pneumonia and just suddenly died. Wow. Um, which really devastated our family. you 11 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then um, my parents didn't stay together throughout okay. all of that. Um, so between all of that, this overall stress of that childhood and then mm-hmm. changing dietary expectations and everything like that mm-hmm. and probably some genetics, mm-hmm. um, I became obese. Mm-hmm. Um, so in middle, middle school was the first time when you... Yeah. About, really were overweight. Okay. Yeah. And I wasn't one of those like childhood obesity kids, mm-hmm. you know, like some, some kids are sort of born with that. Mm-hmm. Like it really, it really hit me, um, right around puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent a lot of time battling that. Okay. In fact, probably about 30 years to wow. battle that. So wow. it didn't stop me from doing a lot of other things that mm-hmm. I wanted to do. I always stayed active. Mm-hmm. I ran. I did sports. Um, I played water polo in college. Mm-hmm. I loved moving around and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I was just never able to crack mm-hmm. the diet code. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never good enough. And I was never going to be... I was never really okay mm-hmm. because... You always had that kind of weighing on you. I was always the fat girl. Yeah. And it was horrible. Was that... So, like during, I mean, middle school obviously is a tough enough time as it is, and then high school. I mean, what was that experience like from a, from the perspective of interacting with other kids and 
with friends and things like that. Well, I mean, especially then, I mean, I think that, that it was worse than mm-hmm. it would be now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there was a lot less tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot less uh, compassion for mm-hmm. people that were are, are obese. Um, I remember being teased and bullied. Mm-hmm. I remember being treated very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not. I had some friends, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, and you couldn't find clothes. Mm-hmm. There was like no way to buy clothes. Wow. Like there just wasn't. Yeah. You know, there weren't, weren't clothes, clothes didn't come in larger sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was very demoralizing. It was very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I was still, you know, I was kind of an active kid and mm-hmm. I was always doing stuff. I was, um, also, it was, uh, it's like a long story, but it was also during the uh, HIV epidemic oh, wow, in San yeah. Francisco, kind of mm-hmm. hit like during my late teens mm-hmm. and I volunteered um, working with people with AIDS and stuff like that. Okay. So I had... You still had a strong kind of outside of yourself sense of... Yeah. I mean, I had like a sense of service mm-hmm. um, and I really liked helping people and taking care of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I wasn't always just shut down right. i mean i was often doing stuff mostly despite mm-hmm. you know what you know i perceived as like this major flaw character mm-hmm. flaw that i had um so uh i became interested somewhat interested in going into healthcare probably mm-hmm. around that time my mom had been um a nurse and then she moved into nurse practitioner okay and uh so she she was taking care of uh she actually worked at the std clinic oh, in wow. san francisco <laughs> what so, an interesting job <laughs> so dinner table conversations were just absolutely humiliating <laughs> like mom don't talk about that I'm like i don't want to hear about it mom please so so like i was really immersed in the healthcare environment okay. at that time okay um so, you know, it made sense when I went to college, I went to UC Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, we really, it, you know, like that I kind of had an interest in healthcare and biology yeah. and stuff like that. Um, when I got out of college, I really wasn't ready mm-hmm. for medical school. And what did you study or what was your major in college? I majored in biology. Okay. Um, and so I, re- but I really wasn't ready, ready. for medical mm-hmm. school. Um, I sort of did a first pass at looking at, like took my MCATs and thought about going in mm-hmm. and then realized, I think very appropriately that I was just not mature enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually spent four years working in laboratories. I worked at UCSF, okay. um, doing just basic science mm-hmm. as a lab tech for mm-hmm. four years and grew up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, did karate. You oh, know, that's got my cool. black belt. It was fun. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, so I was able to do some some really cool stuff like right. during that time. And then, um, ironically, apparently that twenty four is an older applicant, and that's when I went and applied to medical school. Mm-hmm. And they're <laughs> like, "Oh, of... interesting. We need some diversity." And, yeah, yeah, it was like perspective. I, it, it's hilarious to me now that 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 age would be considered adding diversity to right. any population. Right. But it's amazing in those you know? four years the things that you learn and how much more mature you can become. Um, yeah. Then so, coming straight from college. So how did you know that you were ready? You know, after four years, did you decide this is the time to do it? Um, I think that I had just spent some time really deciding that it was what I wanted okay. to do. Um, I had, ex- you know, explored being in the workforce mm-hmm. and working with a biology major mm-hmm. with a bio- biology degree and mm-hmm. where my career could go with that. And um, while I enjoyed the aspects of working in a, a research laboratory, mm-hmm. I didn't really, I didn't really love, 
the process and I certainly mm-hmm. did not want to be a postdoctoral fellow mm-hmm. or, you know, a principal investigator that none of that interested me whatsoever. Okay. So it made sense to sort of move into medicine at mm-hmm. that time. That makes sense. So. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but kind of going through middle school, high school, college, this whole time period, always having this, I think you said, um, kind of lack or this area where you didn't feel kind of confident about yourself, but yet you still did all of these things and you didn't let that really hold you back from, you know, going into medicine, getting a black belt in karate, you know, all these things. What do you think it was about you or about your personality that, um, that allowed you to keep doing those things and not let it kind of take over your whole life? Uh, I'm just epically stubborn. (laughs) That makes sense. Um, I, you know, like, and I probably get it from my mom is just this ability to like, no matter how many times you get knocked down, you just keep getting up, you know, even competing in judo or anything like that. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like, it's, it's how well you take the fall Mm -hmm. matters more than whether you win the match. You know, it's sort of like you get knocked down, you're going to get back up Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So I had the mental reps of doing that just Mm -hmm. constantly. And, um, that, that was really what I think built that, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of work ethic in me and ability to just trudge along. Yeah. I didn't get into medical school the first year I applied. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me two years to get in. Okay. So, you know, I was, I was, you know, accustomed to failure yeah. and not, you know, like before growth mindset was a growth mindset, you know, right. it was That's sort of like a growth mindset. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's awesome. And like, it's cool that you said, you think that comes from your mom, comes from maybe your upbringing of seeing that as an example in your life and then, um, being able to embody embody that as you go through different challenges yes okay so you get into medical school and where did you go you moved to so i moved to albany um, new york new york i got into albany medical college okay uh, which i was really excited about Mm because it was medical school yes um (laughs) not a california school but it was medical school i was like i'll take it yes um so i I piled everything into my little pos car Mm -hmm. and drove across the country oh, by myself amazing. and and you know did you see some sights along the way or was it a quick drive it was a fairly quick drive okay I think it was like six days or something okay <laughs> it was pretty quick pretty well when you, when you have everything you you have in your car yeah. it's kind of hard to like <laughs> right hang out you know? <laughs> it's pretty jam-packed you know and i'd never done that before so i i you know drove across the country and uh, started at albany medical mm-hmm. uh, college which is a fairly traditional medical school mm-hmm. um you know your first two years are sitting in a classroom and mm-hmm. doing um just basic science and and then you know pathophysiology and then the second two years are your clinical mm-hmm. um stuff um i was still active i actually loved i loved medical school mm-hmm. i'm like weird <laughs> <laughs> but uh because i had been working so hard in my research laboratory right. you know like you know real job in a work environment yeah that that to me the idea of just sitting there and having someone just keep me (laughs) learning and telling you kind of telling me what to do and then i wasn't like responsible for the mouses or the colony or like pouring agars or anything like that um it was just wonderful i was like i would look at people Mm -hmm. that were stressing out and i was like i don't get it (laughs) yeah that's such great perspective right and if you hadn't taken that time you wouldn't have had it but i think the same i think back to college or med school and like how great 
great it was, but in the time you, you know, you don't realize how, yeah. how nice it is just to have, how little responsibility you actually have. Um, oh God, like no. you're just there to learn. That's it. Yeah. Especially <laughs> like compared to as, as you move forward in the medical in medicine, career. Right. So, um, and I had, I had a lot of fun too, because I, uh, I did went pretty deep into judo and uh, okay. Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the same time. So oh, awesome. I was doing a lot of, um, you know, I remember like the first year of medical school was so much fun because I'd like, I'd go and, you know, um, I would work out uh, at the judo and then, mm-hmm. and then I would, I, I would like go to the dissection lab or the library mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I remember having just all of this energy, like, you know, right. like mental clarity. And then yeah. I was like, okay, now I'm going to go do this. And it that's was, awesome. it was a lot of fun. So that's awesome. And then, um, as you're kind of going through medical school, how did you end up deciding on your specialty or your residency? Um, I don't think it was, you know, people seem to make like really conscious decisions <laughs> and I don't think it was really that uh-huh. well thought out, to be <laughs> honest. Um, you know, I think a lot of times in healthcare when you're in training, mm-hmm. um, at least for me, you, I imprint or you do, you do what the people you like are doing yes. or you do the thing that like seems the most interesting mm-hmm. when you're in medical school mm-hmm. and it's very hard to necessarily be exposed to something different than that. Right. So I had I had rotated through a lot of internal medicine and pediatrics and had a lot of internal medicine pediatrics combined mm-hmm. residents mm-hmm. during my medical school years and they were cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also actually had a really good rotation in family medicine. And okay. I initially thought that I wanted to do primary care mm-hmm. um, and made a decision to do internal medicine and pediatrics mm-hmm. um, and even took out a primary care loan. Oh, interesting. Um, during that time, mm-hmm. because I was like, against the advice of my <laughs> of my advisor, yeah. in, in, because uh, because they were like, you really lock yourself into this. And yeah. I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> um, but I was really convinced I wanted to do primary care. Uh-huh. Um, and at that time, like that, that I was very mm-hmm. passionate mm-hmm. about, you know, getting people healthy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So very cool. And then kind of take us through what was happening with, you said you were very active in judo and jujitsu during that time, but what was going on with your diet and kind of your weight story um, during that period of life? kind of like a recidivist mm-hmm. at Weight Watchers. Okay. <laughs> so I was, I was like, I was roller coastering a lot. Mm-hmm. I would go way up and down and up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, uh, dislocated my foot my fourth oh, year wow. of medical school that like rolling in brazilian jiu-jitsu very painful yeah i had a, a little incident with a a young man that i was like it wasn't bad but yeah. it was just we were rolling and my foot got caught in the mat oh, and gosh. he pushed it over and initially i thought it was like a tib fib but what actually happened was my calcaneus ended up getting medially dislocated oh my and, gosh you know so it was it was it was really and it it, it was a big deal because i was actually competing mm-hmm. more and more intensely mm-hmm. in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at the time. So, you know, I was kind of like, I was too heavy to fight with women. Mm-hmm. So like I would actually kind of go into the men's okay. groups in my weight class mm-hmm. because that was the only place I could compete. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and stuff, those weight class things like okay. heavyweight is like, it was ridiculous. I was, 
way too heavy to be competing with, you know, women. And so okay. there was never anyone to, for me to play with. Mm -hmm. So I was always competing with men. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, like, dislocated my foot. And all of a sudden, I, like, I couldn't. You like, couldn't. it was a yeah. big injury. It was, like, two surgeries. Oh, my gosh. And so it took forever to recover from and really mm -hmm. slowed me down a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went into internship. And I was introduced <laughs> to the concept of the drug lunch. Oh, gosh. <laughs> like, right. And so I got like, I, you know, things. That, and I had moved from uh, Albany, New York to Buffalo. And I did my um, in, uh, internal medicine pediatrics residency in Buffalo, New York, which okay. is not the world's healthiest diet. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, like my weight, like kind of just went up and stayed up. At that okay. Point. So, and this injury was towards the end of medical school. Yeah. It was my fourth year okay. of medical school. Okay. It was not optimal. Not the best time. <laughs> and I think intern year, so, you know, for everyone is a very stressful time. And like you mentioned, oftentimes, I mean, you, one, you don't have money Two, you don't have time to kind of get your own food and prepare your own food. And three, most of the programs are providing some sort of, food for the, you know, that's kind of yeah. part of it. And often it's very unhealthy food options. Yeah. I think another really important thing is that, you know, you don't have friends mm -hmm. necessarily, you know, it, going into a brand like, new place, a brand new place. I moved to, um, I was, I actually was in a long-term relationship mm -hmm. with my partner mm -hmm. of the time, um, was completing a, uh, a sort of uh, public health requirement or public health commitment. Okay. So she was actually working in, in Plattskill. And so she was, she was uh, a physician's assistant. Okay. And so she was finishing um, mm -hmm. like a two year commitment there. Oh gosh. So the first year of my uh, internship, like I didn't know anyone in yeah. Buffalo. Like I like had no friends. And so I just so worked tough. and mm -hmm. um, that was another aspect of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you just kind of, you just knuckle through. You're right. not sleeping. Right. Yeah. Not to mention, yeah, the lack of sleep and the high stress and all the impact that that has as well. Yeah. And I mean, it was New York State, so mm -hmm. we did have some work hours rules, okay. more so than other places mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. But it's still a pretty brutal mm -hmm. schedule. It's still 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yeah. Um, but it's still, I mean, yeah. much better today than it probably was at that time yeah there was less there was less respect for sleep or the mm -hmm. importance of sleeping and stuff like that right so. it was you know like you know someone else i was talking to saying it was almost like this badge of honor like oh i stayed up for 36 hours and i feel fine <laughs> yeah and i was i mean i was still the one thing i did do is i maintained mm -hmm. um i maintained relationships with people in martial arts okay um i stayed I actually went to Kintora Judo Club. They're wonderful. Uh -huh. um, but, like, I used to work out with them. Uh -huh. And I remember, like, I'd sometimes, like, come off an ER shift and, you know, like, it'd be, like, three or four in the morning. And they, they actually gave me the, the code to get in there. Okay. And I would, like, sleep on the couch to make sure I didn't miss the morning workout. <laughs> you know? So, like, I right. was pretty committed to, like, still moving. That's and, good. Like, my philosophy in medical school and in training was always, like, if you stop moving mm -hmm. if you're not exercising during mm -hmm. this time in your life you'll never be able to keep it going that's a great like, philosophy as yeah. you move along because yeah. like it doesn't get easier right that's great so. that you had that insight so early i've i've heard that a lot from people saying because going through medical training you can always think oh at the next stage i'll be able to do this or you know once i'm attending i'll have time for this and if you keep putting things off it's true you're probably never gonna do them yeah yeah well i think it's one of those like you know it's the difference between being process-based and goal-based mm -hmm. in the way that you approach 
education or mm-hmm. training or anything like that, which is a, I think it's super important for trainees, you know, medical students, residents, interns, fellows, mm-hmm. to realize that they have to at least try in some way not to put their life and their health on hold mm-hmm. while they're training up. Mm-hmm. Because this is where you get your your habits right. that are the most important habits that will carry you through those first two, three years of being in attending, mm-hmm. which is a really another harder hard time. than you realize yeah. what it is. So <laughs> Right. So. Oh goodness. So some of those habits for you are, you know, maintaining your relationships in martial arts and regularly still um, working out. Mm-hmm. At what point so kind of you go through residency, what was there ever a point you know, people talk about different like breaking points or a point where you realize, okay, something has to change. Um, or, Oh, I didn't get that to, to much, that later. much later okay. in my okay. life. <laughs> you know, I sort of went through my residency. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up being, uh, to in internal medicine, pediatrics mm-hmm. residency, which I'm sure you have an idea mm-hmm. of this and I'll explain it yeah. is, is a combined program where you Bert Boyd certify in both internal medicine and pediatrics. Mm-hmm. It takes, four years Mm -hmm. and in those four years of training we because you're doing a full residency load for each of the each of the professions Mm -hmm. internal medicine Mm -hmm. and pediatrics you spend a lot of times we spend a lot of times in critical care units Mm -hmm. so neonatal intensive care units cardiovascular intensive care units like any kind of unit Mm -hmm. i rotated you were there (laughs) and i spent time in it and I found that I really loved that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the excitement. Uh, I love the physiology. Mm-hmm. And so I became really interested in critical care mm-hmm. um, to the point where <laughs> I was like, I don't even know if I want to do primary care. <laughs> right. And then what happened was, is that I was actually recruited by the pediatric intensive care okay. unit in my hospital. Like the faculty there recruited me mm-hmm. to come do a fellowship with them okay. in pediatric critical care with the intention that they wanted more people on their faculty that had internal medicine training. Because one thing with pediatrics and pediatric critical care is that sometimes we have patients that are 20, 22, 23, and Mm -hmm. they start to get out of people's comfort zones Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, for pediatrics. So I ended up getting kind of recruited. Um, I really, really wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother, who is very supportive, mm-hmm. uh, took a, another mortgage out on her house wow. to pay off my primary care loan. Wow. And That's I paid amazing. her back. Mm-hmm. Um, one nice thing about growing up in San Francisco is sometimes <laughs> you can do that. So she, she uh, took a line of credit or a mor- second mortgage, and we refinanced that one loan. Wow. And uh, I went into to critical care. Um, so I did a pediatric critical mm-hmm. care fellowship. So I did a total of seven years of postgraduate after medical school training. That's just incredible. <laughs> yeah, I, I look back at it and I'm like, how did I do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? It's just so crazy yeah. to think about. Even now I think about uh, the friends I graduated from college with and how established they are in their careers and thinking that I'm not, I'm just, you know, about to start my, my career. And it's, it's so, med- medicine is just such an interesting profession where you spend so much time training um and there's so many different i mean now especially there's so many different oh, things totally. to learn you're never going to learn it all and it's so specialized in many ways yeah i mean if, um, if you think about it, i didn't get out of medical school until i was 30 mm-hmm. i didn't get out of postgraduate training until i was 37 mm-hmm. so like i actually after you finish all of that mm-hmm. after i finished all that i have, I have a very short career 
yeah, like relatively plan, speaking, you know, yeah. relatively speaking, compared to you know the people that start really early and know exactly what they're going to do. Right, and then so. you have loans to pay back from school and from your mom's mortgage and all of that <laughs> stuff. So yeah, it's very that's just the price of doing business. Right, right. So, so can you talk a little bit about, then about kind of your early career? Did you go directly into pediatric ICU I did I went and actually did a, a kind of a combination of stuff mm-hmm. um, so I worked in both an adult ICU so I grandfathered in with my uh, internal medicine credentialing mm-hmm. um, and did some critical care work on the adult side okay and I also worked in a pediatric critical care unit um, and I did that for a few years before going full-time into pediatric critical care okay. and um, on the adult side it really gave me a tremendous insight mm-hmm. into what's killing us mm. um, because I would really work with people that were dying from the end stages mm-hmm. of chronic disease. Mm-hmm. So I would see people in renal failure. I'd see people with strokes. Um, and in a medical intensive care unit, uh, my our mortality rate was about 30%. Mm-hmm. And so, so really of the, and, and you know, you could argue because we you're pretty proactive with our palliative care practice and stuff like mm-hmm. that but the reality is that you know with there was a mortality rate of 30% probably 50% of the people that came through that unit didn't really benefit from critical care mm-hmm. because they were so chronically ill so far down that track yeah. yeah so so you know we could keep them alive put them on a ventilator mm-hmm. get them off the ventilator get them trached all of that stuff but we weren't really necessarily like Dramatically changing their quality of life. You know? yeah. Whereas in pediatrics, the mortality rate is about 2.5% mm-hmm. for critical care because children, when they get critically ill, generally are getting critically ill from either some chronic stuff, but mm-hmm. also from like acute events mm-hmm. or acute illnesses. Mm-hmm. So pneumonia or something like that. And they can really go through a lot and make really significant recovery. Mm-hmm. So it was, I ended up shifting more into going just straight critical care mm-hmm. um, for for several years, just because it was it was a little more rewarding, yeah. less burning out. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. And it was challenging to maintain expertise in two huge fields. Right, right. So. That's really an interesting perspective, though, because you think. You know, you see you see patients or you see people maybe even on a regular hospital floor in a outpatient office who have these multiple chronic conditions and and you, you know, can see them starting to go down that path, but you're really seeing this is kind of the end stage when it's almost too late to make a lot of a lot of impact or a lot of change on yeah. their quality of life or their mortality really. Really. At that point, mostly what you can do is, is guide families towards more palliative mm-hmm. solutions mm-hmm. Um, and make sure that the person's going to be comfortable mm-hmm. um, and try to avoid doing things that are not going to benefit the patient. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if someone has a whole huge stroke, then really having very serious early discussions with the family about end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to, because of uh, very proactive programs that we had in, in that unit in particular, which I really mm-hmm. got a lot of um, skills from, um, I've averaged about three family meetings a day. Wow. Where I would yeah, sit down with families and say, that's very emotionally you know, exhausting. This is these are your options, and they're not good. Yeah. Um, and this was done a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see people, or did you have? I mean, maybe a rare story of someone um, who 
is up against this, like facing this, their own mortality and realizing, gosh, I, you know, I wish I would have made these decisions earlier. I would have realized this is what it would be like. Um, I don't know if that's even something that you've, you, you would encounter in the ICU setting, but I think some of the stories that stick with me just from early in residency are people who, you know, maybe have a heart attack or maybe have some, some sort of small wake up call where, they were like, oh, I didn't realize that all of these decisions I was making on a daily basis in my life, this is what it would be like. You know, we all try to imagine that we're just invincible and everything's going to be fine. You get some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely with this younger population, mm-hmm. say people in their 40s and 50s that come mm-hmm. through the ICU with issues might have that sort of, um, I jokingly say, the come to Moses about yes. it. Um, <laughs> but I think a lot of times, too, like, it's it's such a traumatic and shocking experience mm-hmm. for people to experience critical illness, mm-hmm. and there's so much PTSD from it, there's yeah. so much uh, sedation and delirium, that I, I think it's very hard if I'm only doing critical care, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to see people getting insight from their experiences, right. because usually they're just stunned. Right. It's... And the families are stunned. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see, I did see, you know, a lot of families that would be like, we're not going to have this happen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they would see the see consequences suffering, of some yeah. of that suffering. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, so then take us into kind of how you came to your, you said breaking point or your come to Moses moment, maybe, <laughs> where you realized, okay, something has to change in my own life. Well, let's see. I had... Um, I went through a divorce. Okay. And I was working full-time faculty in pediatric critical care at this point. I okay. sort of stepped away from doing um, adult critical care, mostly mm-hmm. to sort of uh, not be straddling and to also sort of define my practice a little bit more clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very involved in patient safety. I got a master's in patient safety leadership. I'm oh, really cool. involved, interested in sort of how we mess up when mm-hmm. we're taking care of mm-hmm. patients and Um, I realized in the year after my divorce that I had, you know, moved in, moved into like an apartment, lived Mm -hmm. a bachelor life and um, my health was not, not going in a very good direction and realized that with really the sort of stress of my job that I really couldn't in the place that I was at, mm-hmm. I felt like I couldn't really make any traction. Okay. Um, I'd been doing jujitsu for a long time and I also started doing CrossFit right around that okay. area. So I sort of like flirted with CrossFit mm-hmm. a few times. Um, and how did you hear about it or what attracted you to it to try it? It looked hard. Okay. <laughs> You're like, oh, this looks hard. I'll try it. <laughs> yeah, so this looks hard. Um, so I had initially started doing some CrossFit and learning some of the motions. And okay. I really enjoyed working with kettlebells. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is, is that, that when you are, for me, being obese as long as I was obese, mm-hmm. and, like I had really done some permanent damage to mm-hmm. my knees long before mm-hmm. um, even medical school. And, and so, what was your weight like at that time? I was, I was over 200. Okay. I, was, I, was, I was hovering anywhere between 210 and 230, 240. Okay. Um, I peaked at 240. Okay. Uh, but so, like, I had some valgus mm-hmm. deformities in my knees, and I also had a lot of, like, chondromalacia, mm-hmm. which moved uh, rapidly to arthritis. I don't know when. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I always had knee problems and sort of difficulty, like, mm-hmm. getting some of the motions in CrossFit. And so, like, I tried it out for a while, and then it sort of hurt, and mm-hmm. then I stopped, and I was doing jiu-jitsu, so I thought I was okay. Mm-hmm. And then I moved, um, then I went back into it after my divorce. I found that okay. there was a gym that was a little closer, and I worked with 
a CrossFit coach there that mm-hmm. um, did some squat work with me and some other stuff, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, ran a Tough Mudder, oh, cool. you know, like it was really fun. Yeah. Um, but one of the things was that I realized that like I really couldn't, and this is going to sound so shallow, <laughs> I couldn't really get workouts in because I was working 60 hours mm-hmm. a week. I was yeah. in an academic position, which was very high in terms of patient service mm-hmm. load. I was covering a lot of nights. Mm-hmm. I was always tired. Mm-hmm. I was stressed out. My diet was horrible. Yeah. I was drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just wasn't living a very healthy lifestyle. And so I thought, oh, it must be my job. Yeah. Um, couldn't have anything to do with my diet or right, any other right. habits. But- well, they're all connected, <laughs> I suppose. Were you ever, did you ever have any other um, kind of negative health consequences like high blood pressure, cholesterol problems or I anything did. like that? No. Um, when I was a teenager, I had pseudotumor cerebri. Oh, wow. Yeah, so hmm. that was from the obesity, and uh, uh, I was not treated kindly yeah. by the medical establishment. Hmm. Um, that's a condition that's associated with obesity, mm-hmm. uh, and so I had some visual losses from that and things, wow. but um, I really wasn't getting, I mean, my blood pressure's always been pretty normal, okay. you know, like, it's mostly orthopedic for me, okay. and, and psychologic, I think, mm-hmm. that was that doing damage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got this sort of wild hair that I would um, leave Buffalo. Okay. And so... If know, it's the job that's causing the problem, let's just get a new job. Yeah, like, like let's... <laughs> the geography can yeah. fix anything, yeah. right? So Starting I just over. Like, started, started cruising the, um, you know, there's professional websites. So I was mm-hmm. looking at job listings and there was something in Huntsville, Alabama. Wow. And I was like, hmm. So <laughs> sounds like a fun city. I actually spent one week there in college on an alternate spring break. It was a good week. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go to the Space Center? Oh yeah. Of okay, course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't much else to do there. <laughs> it's got it. It's got it's uh it's got some great crossfits. So. Yeah. But uh so so literally I and I was like I'm going to leave martial arts cuz mm-hmm. like I'm not going to run like I had reached a sort of level in jiu-jitsu that like in order to keep training, I would probably have to open a school or teach classes. Oh, wow. yeah. And I was like, I didn't really want to do that. Yeah. I actually didn't really want to do jujitsu anymore because hmm. it was not, I mean, it was, you get good enough at it. Like right. you're just standing you're around. You're not really chasing anything anymore. Not chasing anything. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I, I sent in my CV and they called me and they recruited me and mm-hmm. I went down there and I was like, they were like, well, what are you looking for? And I was like, I need a CrossFit gym. Yeah. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> so I went down and did my interviews. Um, I actually was coming off a torn hamstring. Okay. But I, like, I literally, like, interviewed there and then went to two or three different CrossFit gyms mm-hmm. and, and, like, rolled into CrossFit Huntsville. And, mm-hmm. and I was like... Can I All see right. myself here? Yeah. I, I see myself here. This, these people are cool. This, mm-hmm. is, this is okay. And it was like... The other thing is, like, CrossFit in the South is really different from, like, how it is in, a, like, a highly urbanized environment. Yeah, yeah. So, like, all of a sudden, like, this big, huge gym with, <laughs> right, like, all this equipment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people are out there in the sun. I was like, it doesn't snow here. This is <laughs> <Sounds> awesome. great. <laughs> so, I went um, to Huntsville mm-hmm. and uh, started my job there. I was working in a small community-based um, pediatric intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. You do uh, 72 hours on, mm-hmm. but not in-house. So okay. you would take call from home um, and come in and mm-hmm. take care of patients um, in a much lower acuity than I was used to, okay. but still, you know, can get dicey. Right. Still in quickly. ICU. <laughs> still in ICU, still dealing with really sick kids. Yeah. Um, and s- started to really mm-hmm. seriously train in CrossFit. Okay. Um, and just 
now I have all this time to train, mm-hmm. right? I have like money. Mm-hmm. I have everything I need in order to be like really fit, mm-hmm. and I'm still fat. <laughs> <laughs> like something's not adding up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what's wrong with me? You know, like I'm going to CrossFit like five days a week yeah, and I'm still fat, huh. you know? So I was like, what is going on here? Yeah. So um, at the time, uh, the head coach there was Dennis Berry. He's, okay. a, he's in Oklahoma now. He's a great, great coach. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, you know, I come in, I'm really dedicated and I can't seem to crack. Mm-hmm this code mm-hmm. and he was like you need to do precision nutrition <laughs> oh like we need to look at your diet <laughs> yeah you know but it wasn't just like because i like knew mm-hmm. you know like i'm a physician like i've done weight watchers mm-hmm. I've, you know read the zone you right. know like i've tried so many different diets mm-hmm. and i just couldn't mentally hack them mm-hmm. um that like you know i would lose weight and then i'd gain back and mm-hmm. i'd do more mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. single time so I did precision nutrition for a year mm-hmm. and like I melted away. Wow. It was amazing. And I was like, I was totally freaking out the whole time yeah. because it was like, it's all habit based, you know? So yeah. like for the first two weeks, they're like, just take five minutes and, you know, make time for yourself. Uh-huh. And I like literally for the first two weeks did not understand the instructions right. because like, it was so alien. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, so, so that, that was sort of how it kind of, mm-hmm. um, really sort of jump-started in. So I, I really went from, like, I think, like, 240 when I was mm-hmm. there. It was really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, I also um, started working with a counselor. Okay. Um, I had, there was a, uh, a guy named Matt Miller who hmm. was at our gym. He was just a nice guy. Oh, and he was awesome. a social worker. And yeah. he's like, that's performance coaching. And I was like, this is the guy that's going to help me get the mindset that I need in yeah. order to be a great athlete. And I got in there and I sat down talking with him with like, you know, like all this performance coaching because in Alabama, if you seek mental health services, mm-hmm. you have to report them to the state board. Oh, okay. So wow. I was like, we're going to do performance coaching. I'm going to pay extra money for this yeah, so that I don't have to report it because I'm certainly don't have any mental illness. Right. Right. <laughs> this is just purely about performance. And, you know, professionally, I don't want to, you know, deal with any of these, these issues because right. there's a lot of stigma in, in the profession about right. this. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm working with Matt and he's like, well, let's talk about your drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's not on the table. <laughs> like, that's not part of this at all. There's no problem with that. I just like wine. <laughs> it turned out that, you know, over, you know, several years, my alcohol consumption had gone up mm-hmm. significantly mm-hmm. to the point where it was impairing my ability. Mm-hmm. Not not that I was having any trouble at work. Mm-hmm. Not that I ever got a drive, um, DWI or really any impairment issues yeah. professionally. But what it did was it completely... Um, arrested and delayed my ability to grow yeah. um, in terms of losing weight mm-hmm. or in terms of athletically or even emotionally. Mm-hmm. It just sort of arrested me. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to stop drinking. Yeah. Um, and when I was able to do that, which was not easy to mm-hmm. accept, yeah. um, when I was able to do that, like things just took off. Wow. It was totally awesome. Wow. That's amazing. So, What was that process like? Like, humiliating (laughs) (laughs) did you always just kind of work with him or did you find any other resources to be helpful or I worked with him Mm -hmm. I you know mostly with him Mm -hmm. um you know it's 
it takes a while to sort of like change a mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, and it took a lot, it took a long time for me to really understand and accept that, you know, it's all kind of the same, yeah, the same brain chemistry that has like a lot of effects on me, both good and bad. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the reason to go to want to like go to CrossFit and, Mm -hmm. you know, work out until you're like a puddle of sweat Mm -hmm. is the same reason that, you know, I liked to run, you know, coats Mm -hmm. in the ICU. It's the same adrenaline rush. It's the same dopamine receptors that get bathed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to really sort of begin to accept that, you know, both professionally and personally that that I needed to tone down almost all stimulus for Mm -hmm. a really long time in Mm -hmm. order to get healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that was hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was very challenging. It's true. Like you say, constantly in that sort of fight or flight mode with everything that you're doing yeah, um, like I thought like the way to blow off steam you know after like right. maybe having some horrible case in the ICU is to go do Fran right <laughs> let's just get more adrenaline <laughs> like let's just deplete the last of the adrenals let's have nothing left <laughs> oh goodness it's actually interesting because I've noticed a trend a lot of like as I was rotating um through my intern year through a lot of different um hospital specialties I noticed the ER and the ICU setting having a high percentage of physicians nurses you know generally people working there that did CrossFit it seemed like that was the the areas where I met the most people who also did CrossFit and it kind of makes sense yeah I mean people there are people who are adrenaline junkies yeah. there's people that really just enjoy mm-hmm. um, that process uh, but you have to titrate it like anything right. else like you know chocolate's good too but you right. can't eat you it can't every eat. day exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> wow so what are some of the ways that you are able to help yourself balance that and and get yourself into more of a parasympathetic tone oh, once wow. in a while <laughs> it's a total practice for me yeah um so you know in stopping drinking i learned to meditate so okay. started meditating First with Headspace mm-hmm. and maybe like Love headspace. five minutes a day, mm-hmm. you know, like barely touching on it. Yeah. Um, so I started a meditation practice um, and that helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to, I actually had to renegotiate my relationship with CrossFit. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I had, I was one of those people that like, you know, like I had success. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd gone from, from being, you know, obese to being pretty much almost the same weight I am right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was like, we're going all the way, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to train two hours a day. I'm going to just go, yeah. you know, like, More like is always if, better. If, if changing my habits are good, then counting macros will be better, mm-hmm. you know? And I, and I, I, I said, you know, I knew I had understood what the price of admission was mm-hmm. for those kind of behaviors, mm-hmm. but I wanted to see like, mm-hmm. how far can we take it? Yeah. Um, so I really sort of pushed it almost too far okay. for a little while. Um, and then eventually came sort of back to the middle mm-hmm. when I moved back to San Francisco. So after three years in, in the South, mm-hmm. um, my mom turned 80 and mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? It's probably time to come back to San Francisco. Yeah. UC, San, uh, UC San Francisco actually had a great job that mm-hmm. was offered. So one of the things I did was I pivoted okay. um, away from doing straight pediatric critical care. Mm-hmm. Um, I now work in a step-down unit, okay. uh, which is like... I work with chronically critically ill kids mm-hmm. or chronically ill children, mm-hmm. um, medically complex kids. Um, okay. But what I love about this job is I get to work with pediatric intensivists. Mm-hmm. I work with pediatric residents. 
and this patient population that's very challenging, mm -hmm. and I work days. Mm. I don't do nights anymore. That's huge. So that was like a big thing. It was mm -hmm. like, you know, I really, at some point, and I think like Ben Bergeron always talks about this in his podcast, mm -hmm. which is a really, I think a very salient point, which is that some things, sometimes you can't like make that silk purse out of a sow's ear. Sometimes yes. you just have to, like, if you really want to be healthy, you have to make some hard decisions. Mm -hmm. and for me, that pivot was one of those hard decisions. Mm -hmm. So I showed up here at this gym, actually, mm -hmm. um, like a, a year and a half ago or, or so. Okay. It's actually a little bit, little bit more than a year ago. Okay. Um, underweight, overtrained, mm -hmm. a little crazy. Yeah. Like, I just <laughs> want to do more CrossFit. <laughs> I just want to do more CrossFit. And, you know, Kelly was like, hmm. <laughs> He's like, you don't know how to squat. I was like, what do you mean? I've been working on it for years, yeah. you know. I, and the reality is, is that the you know a full dip squat is is really not accessible to me. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long long time to realize that, mm -hmm. and to really accept that, you know, I don't have to be like so crazed, mm -hmm. um, like pursuing like chasing anything more right. in CrossFit than I do anywhere else yeah. to have some some balance. Um, so, you know, when you talk about this parasympathetic stuff, like I learned a lot of breath technique, okay. um, I deepened the meditation practice, mm -hmm. uh, and I had six months off between the time I got here to San Amazing. Francisco and that I started my new job mm -hmm. and like every physician should have a mid career break of at least six months. Yeah. That sounds like such a good idea. <laughs> so I took that six months off and, um, learned some yoga and mm -hmm. started developing a yoga practice. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's working very well for me. That's amazing. Um, so what I do now, I, uh, I, I meditate every morning. Mm -hmm. Um, e even if it's just five minutes, mm -hmm. it's the first thing I do. Mm -hmm. I make a cup of coffee. I mm -hmm. cheat. <laughs> drink my coffee I sit down and I meditate mm -hmm. and I might drink a little coffee while I meditate mm. and it's okay yeah um, because I'm sitting quietly for at least the first 15 to 20 minutes of my morning mm -hmm. um, and then I go about my business so so that's nice and then um, I train in CrossFit I train about four uh, to five days mostly okay. four days and for me, you know, I'm 49 years old. Mm -hmm. I find that it works better if I, I, I kind of batch. Mm -hmm. So I'll train like two to three, maybe four days straight. Mm -hmm. And then I take three days off mm -hmm. and I flip. So more yoga on the days that I'm not doing CrossFit yep. and more CrossFit on the days that I'm not doing yoga. And that I find sense. that sort of having a split week gives me actually the recovery I need. Mm -hmm. I can't just like for me, if I'm a little bit beat up mm -hmm. from, from training, then taking one day off doesn't do anything for me yeah. at all. Yeah. You need a little more time. Yeah. So. And what is your work schedule like then? Are you working mostly Monday through Friday or is it well, very, it's yeah. um, since I'm in an academic position, mm -hmm. um, we do 20 weeks of service a year. Okay. So service week and a non-service week, as you probably know, are yeah. very different schedules. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm on service, I work in the hospital from 7am till, um, 530. Okay. And that's usually pretty intense. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I'll go to uh, my box. Um, the place where I train now is they have like multiple locations. So mm -hmm. one of the locations is closer to my hospital. Okay. Um, so sometimes I'll go there and I'll train. Um, I really limit that to mm -hmm. no more than 
two to three times mm -hmm. because I find that like it just pushes into my sleep. Right. Especially when you're on that service week where you're getting more of that adrenaline and that intensity at work. Yeah. And just sort of like more interaction. Yeah. Um, so it gets, there's less quiet time if mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to a box where it's, you know, the music's blasting right, and everything right. like that. The other aspect of that, which is odd, but it's very San Francisco, <laughs> is that I don't have a car. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways I, you know, keep myself active and busy is mm -hmm. like I'm you know have an electric bike that's and, amazing you know, I, yeah i bike commute mm -hmm. all the time so i've already put in like a thousand miles on that thing that's awesome so so one of the considerations is also um the neighborhood that my hospital and the gym are in is one of the most congested neighborhoods in okay. the city so sometimes it's just not safe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to ride my bike home mm -hmm. from that area at that time so Got i it. might change the change the times mm -hmm. timing of my workouts mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's, that's sort of the work week mm -hmm. and I, you know, I'll deload if, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> during those weeks. And then when I'm not working clinically, um, I'm usually doing a lot of, um, research, preparing talks, going to meetings, mm -hmm. sort of the things that academicians do. Mm -hmm. Um, and in those cases I have a lot more control over my time mm -hmm. and I usually train at like eight in the morning nice. for mm -hmm. four days. I don't think I really should do five. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll push it Yeah, because I'm having fun. Right. Um, and the gym I'm at actually has, um, uh, flagship has really, uh, getting around the city makes is, is what makes, you know, one of, it's very challenging to get to a CrossFit gym in okay. San Francisco because it's parking and transportation and everything like that are like a real barrier to, to just getting in there. So, mm -hmm. um, one thing, you know, like, so I, I've bounced around a lot of different gyms. Mm -hmm. They've all been really good. Like everyone here is great. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the reasons I go to this gym is because they have a couple locations. One's closer to my house and one's closer to my work. Um, they also have programming that's much more um, humane for people that are not uh, competitors. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's much more, I think, in keeping with, you know, what we learned in our MDL1 right. about sort of what, what CrossFit, you know, like that, that you're going to have like that strength piece and mm -hmm. you're going to have a Metcom, but the Metcoms are short enough that they're not like totally destroying you all the time. Right. There's a lot of balance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, in the past, you know, in programming, which is very good programming, mm -hmm. the purpose of the programming was to prepare people for the open. Right. And that was sort of when I came up in CrossFit mm -hmm. for several years. It's mm -hmm. like open, you're going to go, you're going to do the open, you're going right. to do the open. And I loved doing that. I loved being able to do the open RX and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But at the same time, like it was sort of like putting your ladder up against the wrong wall. Right. Right. Um, like what are your real goals? And then, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so, uh, the gyms that I go to, like the gyms here in the city are much, tend to cater more to the population in the city, mm -hmm. which are people that, you know, I don't know what one of the coaches says that they, you know, they just work really hard and they want to beat everyone on the slopes <laughs> skiing. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. Um, and so, so it's sort of like, you know, like, and it, the, the attitude in CrossFit around here is, is go out and play, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, yeah, you know, get, get an e-bike and, you know, because of my knees, it's, it allows me to bicycle anywhere in the city yeah. and, and move around, um, and go do things. So one of the things that like, uh, I'm training for now instead mm -hmm. of just like training because, you know, I want a better Fran time or something. Right. Not that I'll ever RX Fran again in my life, but that's a different <laughs> story. Um, is is I'm going to Bhutan in the fall, and oh. I'm going to be we're going to be trekking. That's so, amazing. 
So I want to be able to um, get up and down the hills. Mm-hmm. More importantly, I want to be able to survive the squat toilets. <laughs> you so, right. That is, yes, a very important variable. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's functional fitness right, right there. Right. So, like, that's the kind of stuff that, that I try to move training towards. That's amazing. So. And it's so, so important to think about why are we doing this in the first place, right? And how many people that are chase, like you said, chasing maybe a Fran time or chasing a certain back squat. And it's like, so why, why is that important? Is it, you know, just to, to achieve that goal or is it because of you want to be able to be independent as you age, or do you want to be able to go out and ski with your kids or whatever, you know, the real reasons are that you are in here in the gym doing CrossFit. Yeah. But I mean, if you, you know, when I was at my heaviest and starting to lose weight Mm -hmm. or something like that, I was not motivated by my longevity. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a better CrossFitter. Yeah. That's why I lost weight. Yeah. And so, so it has its place. Right. You know, the competitive aspects of it and that intensity and Mm -hmm. that sort of getting into it Mm -hmm. um, really was my muse. That Mm -hmm. was, you know, like I was not trying to lose weight to lose weight. I wanted to get pull-ups and I wanted to... Yeah. You know, I wanted to be able to do the things that people were doing, mm-hmm. you know, so. Which is another, you know, a great motivator where you're placing that goal more on, you know, being able to do things rather than losing weight or a certain number on the scale, which I think is a big shift for most people and why, maybe why people spend so much time yo-yoing and is they're focusing on just a certain weight rather than, you know, what can I do? Can I get a pull-up? Can I run faster? You know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, I think it's, especially in our culture, um, the CrossFit culture, you know, where there's such a premium placed on leanness mm-hmm. and, you know, like we look at the, the exemplar athletes, um, like you and, mm-hmm. you know, who are just so amazing, can do all of these amazing things. And, you know, it gives you like this delusion, first of all, that I can do these same things if I was just 15% body right, fat, you right, know, right. which is of course patently untrue, but <laughs> it's that. But a nice little illusion, you know, like right. that you can do that. But the, what I like I can do is be as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. And now as I'm moving, you know, I turned 49 last week. Mm-hmm. So like, you Happy know, birthday. <laughs> now as I'm moving into that, you know, you know, the beginning of the second half of my life, uh-huh. right. It's sort of like, why do I even want to do this? You know, like what, what's the point of having that longevity? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm child free. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so, you know, what am I moving towards? And what I look towards is, you know, how can I help other people and Mm -hmm. how, how do we, you know, in the profession of medicine and in CrossFit and in the gym communities and like that really support people in being healthier. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so many opportunities to do that. One, one thing, reasons why I love doing healthcare, one Mm -hmm. I love doing medicine is you just never run out of chances to help people. Yeah. Um, But what I find is that, you know, like a sort of like, what kind of get older, you're like, what's my legacy, you know? And it's like, as much as it is the patients that I've taken care of and, you know, a lot of parents that are mm-hmm. parents because of the work that my team has done, mm-hmm. um, that they're, they're still parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, that's you amazing. know, amazing. Um, but the other thing that as I'm moving into my career at UCSF and, and being able to be more in a teaching role is, you know, what, what do I tell, what do I teach the next generation of physicians and, you know, the reality is, is that not everyone gets to be in primary care. Mm-hmm. Not everyone gets to be like functional medicine mm-hmm. and sort of live that dream. Mm-hmm. 
um, a lot of us are going to be doing healthcare in hospitals yes. and taking care of the sickest patients mm-hmm. in really the sickest environment mm-hmm. because hospitals are, you know, it's, hideously sick yep, environments. People are still going to be very sick. You so. know, props to UCSF. It's super like if you've got to work somewhere, you mm-hmm. know, like I walked into the cafeteria the other day and they had these like crates of oranges there. Oh, that's awesome. Oranges are 50 cents. So you can <laughs> buy an orange for 50 cents there. So like they're trying. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just a, it's a difficult lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so when I take these young physicians that are coming into training, a lot of what we talk about is, you know, well, how are you dealing with this stress? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like I'll come into the, their room, like the resident workroom, yeah. and I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know, like, <laughs> why is there all this candy in here? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, is this the best way to deal with your stress? Yeah. I mean, do you realize what you're doing to your dopamine systems? Like, whereas every time you're stressed, uh-huh. you got, you guys hit the, you know, chief residence candy jar. Right. Like, is that how you want to learn to cope with stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, and if they do it, they do it. We can't. You know, right. We can't fix that. Right. Um, but that's amazing that you're bringing it up as yeah. someone that is in a position of leadership and that's teaching them um, because so often it's those people who are bringing in the candy or who are bringing in donuts every morning for their team or things like that. Yeah. And I mean, there is a place for that. Yeah, I absolutely. Think, you know, like food is one of the ways that we, food is a way, one of the ways that we build community mm-hmm. and you know, but nothing should be so difficult in a resident's life that the only way that they can be happy is to be able to get a handful of M&Ms. Right. Um, so, you know, that's a conversation that we mm-hmm. have, uh, not infrequently, and it's actually consistent with the mission mm-hmm. of my hospital, which mm-hmm. is great. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So I work in a hospital that doesn't sell sugared sodas. Like, they, they have juice, but mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, you know, there's no... They, right. they actually have, like, most sweet things that you can buy in the cafeteria, for instance, mm-hmm. are in normal serving sizes, small servings. That's amazing. So there's plenty of bad choices, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you can tell that there's sort of a culture an that tries to stay away from, you know, just feeding their mm-hmm. employees horrible food. Mm-hmm. How, so, how has... We talked a lot about sort of how your exercise routine has evolved, but how has your diet and focus on nutrition changed? Oh, well, I have moved out of the macro sphere okay. fairly recently. When I got to San Francisco, I was actually, um, I think I was like 160 pounds, which mm-hmm. is 10 pounds lighter than I am now. Okay. Um, and I was underweight mm-hmm. and I had never been underweight. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what underweight was. Right. <laughs> like, this like isn't even something I've had to no think about before. No perspective on it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's probably actually almost a little cognitively off Mm -hmm. from that and I was experiencing um, night sweats and some early early menopausal symptoms Mm -hmm. probably from that and Mm -hmm. from the stress of just everything Mm -hmm. so I gained and I actually overshot a little bit so then I I went back into the macro world for Mm -hmm. a while and and it's been very helpful So, but I've kind of sort of hit over the last few weeks I've just been like I'm done Mm -hmm. turning 49 I'm Mm -hmm. not doing this anymore Mm -hmm. there's no more weight goals um, we're out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be based on on how I feel, and so for the last three weeks, and 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 kind of moving into it over time, I've moved much more towards like the Kate Shanahan like human diet. Okay, um, which is something that's pretty strongly uh, you know 
endorsed around this gym and, okay. and that, which is that, that, you know, really have a human diet, mm-hmm. um, which sounds, it's, it ends up being very right. eerily similar to, you know, eat meats and vegetables, right, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so eat what um, we're supposed to eat. Yeah. yeah. So which is, is really just, you know, meats and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some carbs. I don't, I'm not afraid of carbs. Mm-hmm. I don't eat them when I want to. Um, I eat a lot of fruit mm-hmm. and, um, I eat about three meals a day and a snack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really deprive myself of fat. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I was going to like gain weight, mm-hmm. and I haven't. Mm-hmm. And I feel great, and I'm working out great. Mm-hmm. Um, my joints feel good, so it's really it's really nice. That's amazing. So. What was it like for you then, or what what kind of drew you to attend the CrossFit MDL one back in the fall, and what was that experience like for you? Wow. Um, well, you know, I heard about a CrossFit MDL one, mm-hmm. and I was going to like get in on it, yeah, because <laughs> I love CrossFit so much. Um, so, you know, I had joined the CrossFit Physicians Facebook mm-hmm. um, site, and I, I really just kind of wanted to get more into the CrossFit community, mm-hmm. um, more, more interested in sort of where things were going, especially as we were moving. CrossFit as a, a, an organization is moving away from the sort of games mentality into mm-hmm. more of a health mentality. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying a lot of times, like in Huntsville when I was training, you know, that CrossFit is wasted on the fit. Mm. Um, you know, like it really felt like, you know, if we're training for the game, mm-hmm. you know, training for the, the open or people are training for the games and stuff like that. And there's this huge emphasis on this elite fitness that I was like, it's kind of wasted on people that already have it Mm -hmm. you know whereas like there's people that like me that needed it so bad Mm -hmm. um you know that had to sort of you know we were embraced and brought into it but not the way we would be embraced now yeah we had to sort of you had to break a lot more barriers to come up against yeah you had to break in a little bit Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. so you know i always like that was always one of the things that i said crossfit was wasted on the fit so Mm -hmm. i would when, you know, I sort of saw this shift going on and heard some of the stuff that Coach Glassman was talking about, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what, I want to get in on this. I want to yeah. check it out. And, you know, I was like, well, it's sort of ridiculous because, like, I don't do primary care. So, like, you know, how am I going to move the needle at all on this whole issue of mm-hmm. health? Um, but I signed up. Yeah. Uh, and and I actually, was, interestingly, I think the majority of doctors who attend are not related to primary care at all they're doing something they're surgical specialists they're working in the hospital um yeah yeah, it's a huge portion of the doctors that have been involved yeah so i signed up and um you know i had a pretty good idea like Mm -hmm. i knew it was going to be a level one training Mm -hmm. and i was like you know i was like oh god i like at the time i think i was i was actually a little bit over over my weight i felt really overweight at the time i was like I felt like I was like, I felt like a fraud, hmm. you know, I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm going to be that fat one in there. And, you know, and, and I couldn't squat. Um, I had been tooled or like trained mm-hmm. by um, Kelly and the trainers here, mm-hmm. which was to never, uh, never squat any lower than my feet mm-hmm. would allow me to like stay into the ground. Right, and right. for me, that was about... 10 degrees mm-hmm. or 15 degrees like mm-hmm. at that time mm-hmm. I couldn't because I didn't have ankle mobility mm-hmm. and I had like both of my patellae are gone mm-hmm. so like there was just I mean I was like, like yeah, oh I, remember, gosh, like, I, I was do? like I'm here I was like I can't squat 
<laughs> you know, basically, I'm an adaptive athlete. <laughs> you know? Like everyone else in the world, we're all adaptive. Right, we're all. So, so I was like, I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go there and they're going to do Fran because I, like, I knew they always do Fran. And I was like, oh. And it was great. It was really good to learn about the methodology. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was good to sort of see where CrossFit was going. It was good mm-hmm. to meet Coach Glassman mm-hmm. and thank him mm-hmm. um, for, you know, getting something that would together designing having this crossfit thing that was the finally the thing that Mm -hmm. gave me the motivation to Mm -hmm. make such huge changes in my life it's amazing you know what um, was it like to thank him for that it was a little it was a little misty yeah yeah (laughs) i remember the first time i met him was after it was after a regionals event in 2012 but that was the first time I met him Mm -hmm. and I remember the first thing I told him was like thank you for changing my life because it completely you know CrossFit completely transformed my life and he's always so humble and doesn't want to take credit he's like oh well it was you that did it and blah 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 blah. but (laughs) it just felt good to be able to say that to him it it did feel good it was fun because we were at the ranch so Mm -hmm. you know we got to explore you know run around the ranch a little bit yeah you know, it was sort of like to do some pull-ups on the pull-up rigs up there. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, this is really it's pretty cool. neat. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was it was pretty geeky, you yeah, know, like, oh, yeah. look, there's the hopper, you right, know, right. So so you know, I got to nerd out a little bit. So so you know, that was that was fun meeting you. It was sort of like you know, that was a pretty big deal. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And what um, you mentioned a little bit before, kind of the lessons that you try to pass on to your residents, but. What advice would you give to someone who's right now going through medical training or going to be starting their medical training? Um, I think things are a little bit easier. I'm not going to say easier, but I think that thing, there's more room in the training, in the mm-hmm. education space right now for people to be human beings mm-hmm. in healthcare. And I think that that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, there's a lot out there like that they do at my school and at other places and like try to do work-life balance mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. Almost too much, I think, for, for yeah. some people in training. Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, to, to use a, you know, use a uh, approach of really trying to do one or two things as well as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were only going to be able to really nail down two things mm-hmm. while you were in medical school, like, like I used to joke, we used to talk about like in medical school, like you could do one thing mm-hmm. <laughs> besides medical school. You get your one thing, yeah. Yeah, for me it was like judo, mm-hmm. okay? Do one thing besides mm-hmm. medical school. Um, I would advise that it be nutrition, mm-hmm. but it might be that you could do a little more than nutrition and yeah. then do move, you know, nutrition and movement, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be perfect. You've got to accept that. Right. Um, and just really kind of iterate on, you know, just doing it a little better mm-hmm. each time, mm-hmm. but never give up when you're in training, never give up your humanity, never give up your health, never give up sort of wanting to, to always do that because as soon as someone... I believe, you know, as soon as we give that up Mm -hmm. is usually where we end up like kind of like getting worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that that. makes any sense. Absolutely. I love that. And I love what you said earlier too about the habits, like thinking about, you know, medical training is a long process. And so just, just bringing some attention to those habits that you're setting up now, realizing again, they're not going to be perfect, but I'm trying to at least set a couple of good habits that will stick with you. Um, cause it takes, it takes a long time to reverse habits once you feel like, you know, 
you have that time again, although I don't think you ever will. <laughs> well, you don't ever. Yeah. And, and, you know, like if I have like a lot of time, like if I'm like in an off service week and mm-hmm. my habits are not like stable, mm-hmm. you know, because there's times when my habits aren't stable, mm-hmm. then I don't fill my off service or my free time with doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I tend to fill it with doing the wrong thing. Yeah. So like if my habits aren't stable, you know, and I don't, I don't like to say good or bad habits. Mm-hmm. I say stable habits, mm-hmm. meaning that, that, you know, they're, they're not consistent. like shifting. Yeah. Um, then, then all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm on Instagram or in social media, like way more, you know, I had to kind of give up Facebook because I was like, I just never get anything out of it. That's going to help me. Right. And it's, you know, it kind of brings me towards that lower common denominator. That's just me. And again, that's that dopamine response again, right? That's what social media is all based around. Exactly. So, you know, like if I'm going to use Instagram, it has to be on my computer. It has Mm -hmm. to be a conscious decision. Mm -hmm. So having positive displacement behaviors, Mm -hmm. I think are really important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I'm not on service, I try to wake up early. I try to do the same thing I do when I am on service. Mm -hmm. So then when I'm on service, it doesn't hurt as much. Right. Um, and I think those are really important skills for anyone, mm-hmm. not just medical professionals. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love that. All right. Well, I want to start wrapping up. So I have That's three different. questions, oh, <laughs> which I'm sure you've thought about. <laughs> three questions that I ask everyone at the end. Um, so the first one is the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Um, I think one of them is meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, I do really practice. I have a pretty steady meditation practice um, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, when I wake up, I you know I grab, grab my cup of coffee and I sit down. I, you know, it's usually silent meditation mm-hmm. right now. Like I kind of burned out on Headspace after a couple of years yeah. of it. But um, I think you know, even if I feel like I don't have the time to do it, I sit down with at least a five minute intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually I can get a little bit more in mm-hmm. there. And if I if I don't, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. If I don't get to the end of whatever I set time wise, mm-hmm. I'm happy that I sat down and did it. Mm-hmm. So it's start the meditation is really the habit. It's not like meditate perfectly. Right. Um, and so that's, I think an important thing for me in mm-hmm. terms, of, terms of staying stable and mm-hmm. sort of being able to, to do the things I did that. Um, I'm pretty meticulous about nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not always, you know, making every best choice, mm-hmm. but I try to really source food very mm-hmm. carefully and I enjoy cooking. So I prepare most of my mm-hmm. own food. Um, and so that's the other, I think, other critical habit yeah. for me in terms of that. And then obviously movement. Mm-hmm. So I don't just go to the gym mm-hmm. anymore. Um, you know, I ride my bike around. I find ways in daily practice yeah. to always be moving, even if it's like, say I have a really difficult service day and I, you know, happen to be taking the bus home. I might actually get off um, public transportation ah, yeah. a few blocks earlier mm-hmm. and climb over a hill to get home because then at least I've moved. Gotten a little you know, extra walking, yeah. I'll go get groceries and I will <clears> deliberately... <throat> you know, carry two bags of groceries and a farmer's carry the, you know, mile and a half up the hill it takes me to get home. And I'm saying, okay, there's my workout. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I try to build in that movement as much as I like to go to the gym, which I enjoy doing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I try to build movement, you know, bike a little bit longer, lower the assist on the electric assist, Mm -hmm. whatever it takes to just have activity. I love that. I love that. Those are great. Um, next question is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you are still working on it or you haven't tried it yet. 
Oh, <laughs> there's like so many things there. <laughs> there's always th- more things think to do. You know, I think, you know, one thing that I think that like I could do better is mm-hmm. probably journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, I bullet journal mm-hmm. somewhat consistently, but I tend to be, I tend not to go into the, you know, there's a methodology for journaling that involves working through cognitive, um, how your, your mind is thinking. That's a little bit more a meta analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to go through like a journal and say, this happened and this happened and this happened, but not really like, what was I thinking, thinking about, about it, it yeah. or, you know, what were the assumptions that I had about it? Mm-hmm. So that sort of mindful, um, you know, cognitive journaling mm-hmm. is something that I, 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 you know, tend to, you know, like you sh- shouldn't say should all the time, right. but I really should do that <laughs> some more um, because it, I tend to get a lot of, you know, a lot of insight from that. Yeah. And I think also with healthcare, um, one thing that, that I try to really promote with trainees is that uh, reflective practice mm-hmm. and sort of like when you have those difficult interactions with patients or you know difficult situations to really take the time to work through them mm-hmm. and I think the journaling for me at least personally is a much better way to do that definitely than talking to people about it or anything else right. it just as allows me to get their practice and it's a very sort of intentional way where you are really just focusing on that it's not just like you said meant talking to to someone in the lounge about it or talking to your mom about yeah, it or it's whatever. Yeah, like a vet session right. or something it's, like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, so. Last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? Um, I think a healthy life for me is really being physically and mentally healthy enough to mm-hmm. have, in the second half of my life, contributions, mm-hmm. positive contributions to the people around me. Um, it's not just being the absence of disease or sort of that classic fitness continuum thing. That's not really what I'm shooting for. Um, You know, I love to do pull-ups and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But what I really, like for me, that healthy lifestyle is being able to sit down and and disseminate information Mm -hmm. in a way that helps people, you know, like talking to you Mm -hmm. or working with with residents, working with students, Mm -hmm. um, people in the gym, and just having that positive impact on people. Um, and always being able to sort of have that, you know, moving forward and mm-hmm. kind of pay back. I've had a lot of help. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been able to ask for help and I've gotten a lot of assistance if it was from my mom or from the people that have trained me, mm-hmm. you know, from coaches, from CrossFit and all of that to get where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And so really my job right now is to stay healthy enough to be able to give it back. That's amazing. So, wow. Well, it's so amazing to hear sort of your whole story. And I really appreciate um, that you're willing to share it with with our audience. And I think that hopefully you are, you know, the people listening to this, I think will agree that you are giving a lot of that back just by sharing your own experience and kind of the hard work that went into getting to where you are today. Well, it's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to tell the story. Mm -hmm. I'm usually kind of... um, you know, I, I was like, I listened to your podcast yeah. and I was like, oh man, I am not like any of these people. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's different. And I'm everyone like, has their own public. Like I got like, you know, like I, I'm on Instagram, but like I never go there, you know, like, like I don't have a social media presence, you know, but the reality is, is that I think like, I think there's more people like me out there than there are certainly, you know, like mm-hmm. that are, that are just sort of struggling through life and mm-hmm. trying to reach some point of, you know, acceptance and, mm-hmm. and health as they get older. And, and, you know, maybe that's the whole point yep. of what we do, you exactly. know, like that's our, our job. One of our, our tasks in life mm-hmm. is to learn how to, you know, use what we're given. 
Exactly. So. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was a real honor. Awesome. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. I loved getting to know Maude a little bit better. And there are tons of takeaways that I have from our conversation. Here are my top three that are going to stick with me the most. Number one was the importance of balance and not delaying how you really want to live your life. Maude and I talk about this in relationship to the medical field, but I think it applies no matter what your life path may be. We can always delay living our lives the way we really want to, but the habits that we create early in life stick with us and you never know what your future has in store. So it's really important to set those habits up early to do the things that you know you really want to do and that are best for your health, even if it seems like you don't have time at the moment. Number two was that if you love a good adrenaline burst, that's okay. But if you're constantly living in fight or flight, as Maude used to do in every aspect of life, the toll that this can take on your body is tremendous. It's so important to find ways to get our bodies into that rest and digest mode and upregulate that parasympathetic tone. Whether that's slowing down in your workouts, taking time for yourself, meditating, spending time in nature, whatever it is for you, protect and value those practices. And the third takeaway that I have is I loved how Maude talked about the importance of recognizing the underlying ways that we cope with stress and some of the emotional connections that we can have to certain habits. So as she talked about in this conversation, it was difficult for her to come to terms with her alcohol use. Often we have emotional connections with food or other habits. And until we address the underlying reasons and the emotions that are associated with those habits, it's hard to really make lasting changes. But if we lean in to that difficult task of working through those underlying emotions, the payoff can be really freeing as you've seen in Maud's case for sure. So hopefully you enjoyed listening to the episode and you have some takeaways of your own. Never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. I'm really excited to share with you that this month, in addition to $20 off your first order, ButcherBox has a very special gift that is so good, I can't even mention it on the podcast. You can learn more about it at butcherbox.com forward slash Julie, where you can find all the details. So if you know me, you know I care a lot about where my food comes from, and that's particularly true when it comes to meat. I believe that meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there's a huge difference when it comes to animals that are raised in feedlots and that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics, and those that are responsibly raised fed their natural diet and never given growth hormones or antibiotics. High quality meat like this is hard to find, but ButcherBox makes it super easy because they deliver 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage breed pork, as well as wild Alaskan 
in sockeye salmon directly to your doorstep. All of their products are humanely raised and never, ever given antibiotics or hormones. This gives me some peace of mind knowing that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and will taste amazing. Plus, they offer free shipping anywhere in the contiguous 48 United States, which is awesome. Right now, ButcherBox has put together a very special deal for all Pursuing Health listeners. If you order your first box, you'll get a very special gift plus an additional $20 off. And as I mentioned, that special gift is so epic, I can't even talk about it here. You'll have to go to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie to check out the deal and get your $20 off your first order. Now remember, it's only available until supplies last. So go check it out right now. Once again, that's $20 off plus a special gift with your first box by going to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie. Check it out. I promise it will be worth it. 